Welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And guys, we have quite an episode for you today. We are diving into the Friends and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air specials, the reunion specials that aired on HBO Max recently. Yeah, I mean, these are by no means a new phenomenon. I mean, we've been having cast reunions since there were casts. Yeah. Um... But I think that there is something a little bit new in that uh, there's never been anything like this on HBO Max before. Yeah. And I don't think on HBO uh, about a property that they didn't themselves produce. Right. But uh, there also hasn't really been many uh, reunion specials that have premiered on streaming sites uh, in in general. And certainly not as a sort of selling point for a platform. Uh, So I think there's there's some interesting things going on here that are worth talking about and, and some sort of tropish things that may be sort of central to all reunion, cast reunion specials. Um, yeah. But uh, I think one of the main things uh, that we want to sort of establish early on is, you know, that we're approaching these from a sort of critical distance, uh, that maybe we're not as bought in as the intended audience for the specials. You know, uh, I didn't grow up with Friends or Fresh Prince being like the main shows I was watching. I have some nostalgia for Fresh Prince, but you know i'm i'm approaching this as like this is a promotional stunt i i i guess i'm saying there's a lot of artifice in the presentation of these specials what do you think hannah yeah there's definitely a lot um that you know you sort of look at it and you're like how much of this is real you know and how much of this and it's it's not only artificial but it's like it's very self-indulgent you know and i think that's true of of any reunion right i mean it kind of becomes sort of like you know a propaganda for the studios that produce these these shows uh not just propaganda for the shows themselves because you're saying Look what a great family environment that these people have come up in. Look at how well they get along with each other. What you were seeing acting also was kind of real. Mm -hmm. That you, you know, you you took a peek behind the curtain and you didn't see a lifeless Chuck E. Cheese robot. (laughs) You saw, you know, Ross and Rachel, you know, David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston. Right. They're the same. They're really, they're really your friends. They're your friends. They're your friends, and they were really crushing on each other. And, you know, right. like, Uncle Phil really was, the like, a dad to Will Smith. And, you know. Right. Um, like, you know, how much... Like, we'll never know if that's true or not, or if that's the narrative that they want us to buy. You know, it's it's reality TV, but that, that comes right. with the territory, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, you, it has to be read as industry discourse, not just as meta discourse on the show itself. So right. I think, you know, uh, taking um, John T. Caldwell's uh, approach to um, industry discourse and you know, what their sort of disclosures are, that there's disclosure of certain secrets, but always as a way to sort of cover up or, you know, decorate the uh, the disclosure in a form of, like, truthiness. Right. So that you feel like, <laughs> oh, okay, everything else must be true because they secretly revealed this thing that they weren't supposed to tell anybody. Right, um, right. 
So yeah, I think you can, you can read more about, uh, about how to read industry studies, uh, through, through Caldwell's work. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, this is just the vibe that I get from reunions in general is like, I was a theater kid growing up. Uh, and so were you, you were in yes. some place. So like, you know, I get it. You work really hard on this thing and then it happens and especially if that's your literal job for years and years and years, like, I get it. Like, yeah, these people are probably going to mean a lot to you. But you know how everyone hates the theater kids, like, going to Denny's after, like, at the cast party after the show ends? You know, like, that's kind of the vibe of these things, <laughs> where it's like, oh, we're best friends, and, like, we had so much fun, and here's all our inside jokes, but now it's not just annoying the other patrons of the restaurant it's annoying anyone who decides to watch it you know yeah what what, what were some moments um i guess we'll start with friends since that's the more recent and sure. more topical one <laughs> uh what, what were you know what were some of the moments that you felt were either annoying or successful or full of pathos or you know what what, what did they have for me i found the editing um of the Friends special to be very strange where it sort of jumped between all these different segments like sometimes very randomly and would just like leave discussion topics entirely <laughs> and just like pivot to something new yeah i think i think in some ways that that almost speaks to to an authenticity to it um at, at least in those moments where you have a very jarring edit it means that they weren't able to sort of script a nice clean resolution to whatever point they were making. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, uh, what, what, what else? Um, you know, I would say, like, at least in the Friends one, James Corden's, like, presence at all. And, like... Right. The existence of a host who is so purposefully detached from the the friend's legacy yeah that he's from another country he's a late night guy but he he's not the late night people who would have interviewed these people in the 90s right he's too young and he's just there and he's i think he's operating on sort of like a lawyer logic where like you know you can't ask a question you don't already know the answer to right where he's sort of going in expecting certain which is uh, of course how talk shows work right. as well where the you know the press guy or the agent gives you some like all right you're gonna ask him about uh his recent trip to maui with his wife all right and then he's like i hear you've uh, taken a trip to maui all right like, yeah you heard from the <laughs> press guy uh so it like it is like late night. Yeah. In fact, it's like almost no different from like and, the Colbert special where they brought in all the Daily Show people. And it's very awkward. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they're just sitting here, like you know, like they clearly just want to be hanging out with each other, and they're like, okay, I guess we got to go perform for an audience and answer awkward questions. Woohoo! Like, you know, they. Uh, like, it's just uncomfortable. Like, I felt bad for James Corden. Like, I, I don't think he's a particularly good interviewer to begin with. Um, but, like, this is just, like, a no-win sort of situation. And, and sort of along that lines, the cringiest moment of the Friends special for me personally is just the guest stars. Um, mm. And how they were both incorporated as, like, 
other cast members coming back or uh, the fashion show that they did. So you're talking about both the the guest stars from the original Friends show yes. who came back to sort of, you know, be like, hey, surprise, I'm here too. It's a full cast reunion because now Mr. Finkel is here or... Mr. Heckler. Sorry, I, I forgot his name as well. Um, or, you know, the, the Gellers are here and, right. you know, like, I guess that can be exciting, but I think it's interesting that they, they portray the friends actors as part of the audience in those moments. Yeah. That you can't tell them because they're the audience surrogates experiencing the shock and surprise at seeing them. Yeah. And yet it's like, once they experience that, like there's no chance that someone's going to be like, who invited this fucking guy? Right. <laughs> they're all going to, Oh, we love you. Come here. Oh, we love you. We love you. Nikki or, uh, whatever love the you. hell your name is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think you're right that those were very cringy. Um, the, the moment that made me sort of like lose it was when they had all of this sort of fan uh, guest stars for the oh, Friends Oh, yeah, that was do bad. Little in, do little interludes about how, you know, I'm a celebrity and I, I really liked Friends. Yeah. And it's often that they had some kind of connection to HBO, such as like Kit Harington. But the one that really made me lose it was when... Malala Yousafzai. Oh, really? It was that one. Just appears, and it's like almost not commented on at all how strange a choice uh, it is. Malala loves friends, David. What are you gonna do? I'm sure she does, as do many, many people. And she is absolutely a celebrity. I'm not saying that it's not a great choice to get her. Yeah. But it's just like what she stands for versus what like David Beckham stands for. Right. Are so vastly different. But that's and the, fact that that's the it's point. It's like the, the brand of Friends. Yeah. And therefore the brand of HBO Max. That it can encompass these two vastly different, uh, you know, People. modes of address. Yeah. Um, that it can be friends inspires hope and change for the future. And also, isn't it funny when Ross can't move a couch yeah. and he keeps saying p to pivot? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it was one part that I found surprising and like, I'm, I'm sentimental. So it, it made me tear up a little bit, but was like when all the people were like, I was going through a hard time in my life and friends helped me. <laughs> and like right and they did and that that one i think is super interesting because it was specifically through the lens of friends as international uh global uh product that you know that it's been translated into so many languages and that you can find people who you know this helped save their life not just in America, but in Ghana. I think they had several people that they interviewed in Ghana. and They had some Sengalese people. Um, they had right. um, French. There was uh, a, a German guy at the end. Right. And the specific marketing that it, it, this like helped teach BTS English. Oh my God, the BTS. That's the one I thought you were going to say instead of I, Malala. That was like... Uh, well, I think I think it's a great contrast, don't you? Like, Here's the we're BTS, <laughs> we're HBO Max. We're BTS, we're Malala Yousafzai, we're David Beckham. Right. These are the, this is the trifecta of completely different 
pop culture icons yeah. that that we embody here. We are and that we embody through buying friends. Right. We are pop culture now. Yeah, I think actually I think I'd like to make that sort of the the thesis statement of yeah. this if there is a thesis statement is that what HBO Max has done here is they're buying friends. <laughs> In that they're buying allies. They're buying culture, for sure. A hundred percent. Like, you're not even wrong at all. Um, right. But the, by by buying friends, they get BTS is, <laughs> is great. And that they get the identity of, we're a global company. We make content for people all, all over the world. Even if that content is six white people of middle class <laughs> age living in new york in a unrealistic new york apartment yes like even then we're a we're a global company appealing to all sorts of cultures right so it's it's really a bizarre and phenomenal sort of you know out of the two sides of the mouth kind of pitch to the the viewing public and i think the same goes for um fresh prince reunion to sort of switch gears a bit yeah uh in that the way that it it, the way that it touches on racial issues and how they were addressed in the show um did you have any thoughts on 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 how they broached those topics what their reflections were and 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 how they pitched it yeah i mean you know they definitely leaned into you know this show was telling the truth about what it was like to be black. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I did like the one, um, the one quote from uh, Tatiana is her name. Uh, the, That's the actor's name. Yeah, right? yeah, the youngest sister. Where, you know, she brought up the fact that, like, people would, like, talk about the show and, like, hashtag black excellence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, she's like, it's not the wealth that's the excellence you know it's the way that they were able to conduct themselves and that it was the way they um you know were there for each other and uh yeah and i i think that 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 follows in the scholarly literature yeah you know on on the show Mm -hmm. which I, i haven't read too much of but i have read about you know sort of the cosby show which has been written about a lot because it was this huge cultural tentpole and it was the first depiction of the well-to-do black you know, family uh, professional black family uh in an upper middle class sort of setting mm-hmm. and usually what the what the scholarly response to it is is it's it's sort of juggling these contradictions of yes it's a representation it's an aspirational representation of a sort of colorblind world where you can exist without constantly dealing with the threats of of racism at the same time it becomes a kind of talking point for right-wing idiots to say well why can't you all just be like you know the Co- the people on the Cosby show right. uh and just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and you know get things done um where i think the fresh prince doesn't really have to deal with necessarily that particular contradiction because of the character of will right. and just the the fact that you're colliding two different sides of you know two completely valid sides yeah. of black culture right right and saying and that's black excellence both of yeah. these are are black excellence, right and i think which i think is yeah yeah and i think um you know the fact that it was a show that definitely was not a fr- and this is a point that's made in the reunion special um that like it's a show that's not afraid to show that you know 
black people are not a monolith. <laughs> like right. they act in many different ways in many different situations. Right. And, and to, and to depict it as a conflict about the, the movement, you right. know, the, the, the fight, the, um, what is the word they use? The movement. The, um, that, that it's, it's depicted as like an, an intellectual and and ideological sort of conflict between you know class and race and privilege and all of these different things that go into play in the um, <laughs> in the Fresh Prince show. Yeah. Uh, while we make fun of Carlton, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think also the the really interesting thing I think in the address of how these actors are talking about it, and this yeah. I think plays into kind of like how much of this is scripted because they're all sort of on the same page about this. Is that they all referred to the the Tuesday rehearsals as the place where representation matters, you know, because it didn't matter to the positive portrayal of, of race in that show that there weren't many black writers on that show, or they don't actually specifically reference any black writers. Yeah, uh, I, I I haven't looked at like all of the scripts, but I'd imagine that like the writing staff looked a lot like the writing staff for other NBC shows at the time. Right, very white, very very white, uh, and very male. Um, but what they would say is okay, but you have to take into account Tuesday when we're doing rehearsals. We're pointing out all of the inconsistencies. We're the voice of blackness in the show. And that was what I found interesting in that address. And I thought it kind of similar to the, we're HBO Max, we're a global company, even though we're, we're saying we're a global company by talking about six white people. Right. We're the, we're the company of, of race relations, but we're only showing content from the 90s that was written all by white people. Right, right. But but it can still be positive because, you know, Alfonso got to say, no, Carlton would never say that, even though he's, you know, being written as a white black guy, you know, by white writers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely complicated. Um, but like, as far as cringe goes, were there any like big moments from the Fresh Prince special that like really got to you well i thought that you know um well i did think like you said with with guest stars that when little nikki you know the the kid from the later seasons w w came out and they didn't really know what to say to him yeah they didn't really have anything for him to say because it's like hey i was eight <laughs> you're so grown now you're no longer eight yeah or younger. I, I don't even know how old he was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's almost like no one wants to say, like, you helped us jump the shark, you know, yeah. or, you know, nobody really latched onto you as a character right. and couldn't write you off because it'd be cruel to write off an eight-year-old. <laughs> right. How do you write off an eight-year-old? Like, you can't. Also, the the game show on the on Friends. Yeah. That was, that was clearly unscripted on one end, but Ross... Or David Schwimmer, yeah. his his part was completely scripted, so the mismatch there led to some some awkward exchanges. Yeah, like the introduction for Tom Selleck was very weird, and just like yeah, they're like, isn't it Tom Selleck? And he's like, you'll see. And then it was Tom Selleck. <laughs> I don't understand. I think he was squinting because there was a second question under his question, and he wasn't sure if he was supposed to read it. Oh, so I. I I can't know that for sure, obviously. But, but this is a pure speculation. But yeah, it's like 
it was done live but without any rehearsal. Yeah. It had to be done without rehearsal because it's they're playing it up like a game show. Right. Doesn't doesn't quite work. What about what about um, similarities in format between the the two shows? Uh, both of them start with characters one by one walking through the set. What did you think of the of those? Was there was there ideology at play? God. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like, I get it, you know, especially when you, it's a sitcom, so your sets are basically the same always, you know, um, like, you're not doing yeah, a lot of... they're perfectly recreated. Yeah. There's art in that, that people scoured the old episodes to, you know, recreate props or, or find them or find actually the same furniture mm-hmm. um you know you'll see this there's you know um you know curb your enthusiasm did a kind of pseudo seinfeld reunion <laughs> and they did a behind the scenes of the making of that season uh-huh. uh and what they talk about is like how do we find the old sets which some of them are now owned by jerry seinfeld right and are in his mansion <laughs> right like how do you recreate that? So there's art in that. Yeah. And then I think that there's um, a sort of like, like, hey, come here. I have a secret. Take a peek behind the curtain. Look, we're breaking open what you saw, which is just an individual set. It's all the sets right next to each other. Yeah. You fool. You idiot. Didn't you know that uh, Central Perk was right next to their apartment? You fool. You absolute buffoon. Um <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I didn't hate it, but at the same time, I felt like it wasn't for me. Like I get the impulse to show everyone's reaction to the set because I'm sure it was emotional for them. Yeah. It yeah. didn't. And emotional for the actors. Right. That's what I mean. It was emotional for the actors. Um, but like, I, like, was it supposed to be emotional? Like, I guess it was supposed to be emotional for the audience as well, for me. But it right. wasn't. It was just like, yeah, <laughs> they did a good job. Ooh, they said it. <laughs> it's like... Right, but I just think it's interesting it's like, like, to see them... You know what it is? Like, the visual. It's tagging um, along with a friend to, like, their childhood home or something. Where they're like, wow, oh my god, it's just the same. Or, ugh, it's so different. And you're like, okay... <laughs> I guess. But I think the difference is, like, for people who have seen, you know, these shows, it almost is like their home, too. You know, for people who grew up watching these shows endlessly Mm -hmm. in syndication. Right. You know, it is home, you know? That is my home Mm -hmm. that that you're now walking through. And it's even stranger because you've stripped out you know the fourth wall and you've you've added this single camera aesthetic to it i think like visually the image of like david schwimmer coming in from like an a white void right. is what you see on the other side of the stage doors which of course because it's daylight outside yeah uh and he walks in the stage doors zoom he's emerged from heaven and now he's walking across the moments of his life his past yeah. through the 90s and the early 2000s yeah. and just viewing it and going like, wow, I lived a great life and now <laughs> I'm dead. Like, that's the aesthetic that I got from it is that this is like, it's a wonderful life or, you know, something like that. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I think it was interesting, at least in the Friends uh, reunion, you know, they talked about if they watched old episodes or not. Um, and basically everyone else did, 
but then David Schwimmer and Lisa, and, and Lisa Kudrow were like, I haven't really watched it in like 17 years. And then I kind of revisited it for this. And it's like, yeah. okay. Well, I, I think that's supposed to be like, I think that's supposed to be acceptable. I don't think people are like judging her for that. In fact, I think they see it as kind of, you know, authentic or something mm-hmm. that like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't watch what I'm in. You know, it's not, it's, that's not why I do it. I do right. it because I care about the project, whatever. Um, well, I just, you know, I think that's interesting though, because I think that's definitely going to inform your reaction to walking in and seeing this set, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're, yeah. if you're watching the episodes, I think it's powerful in a way where it's like oh, the thing that I love so much like I'm here again how exciting and then you know for the people who haven't it's like I literally haven't like seen this for like 17 years <laughs> right so you're saying it's about the the time gap yeah which is always a big part of these things um, yeah the idea of we haven't all been in the same room together for 30 years right. or you know 10 15 years whatever um, right, which is the whole point of a reunion. But again, it's like that's for you. <laughs> like no one. No, no, no. I don't. I think that's totally backwards. Ugh. I think it is for us. I think that the the exclusiveness of it, mm. the peek behind the curtain that couldn't happen without each of these people being paid five million dollars, which they were, <laughs> <laughs> that they wouldn't naturally all be in the same room together let alone on in the same room talking to us about their experiences and bloopers and behind the scenes, right. you know, and audition footage and all the other tropes of the reunion mm-hmm. special. Yeah. I mean, I felt it's interesting because, you know, these are both filmed during the now times, the COVID times. Um, yes. But the, the Fresh Prince one, you know, it's no audience. It's they're all in a, it's just them in a room uh, with occasional talking heads and the friends one it's like get people in here as much as possible you know like they're yeah they're leaning into we can have an audience this is exciting um <laughs> but i think it and and also the fact that you know like james corden is there hosting whereas in the fresh prince one it's just kind of Will Smith, which also right. was awkward, in my opinion. Okay, I I think I think that's uh, I think that's fair. I think the, where the Will Smithiness of it comes in is that the real like origin of this Fresh Prince reunion. Sure, they were always planning on doing it, but they they sort of tested the waters a little bit with Will's you know social media presence, where he produces tons of content. He had a YouTube channel. He has a, a Snapchat story, whatever you call those things, where, yeah. you know, it's a corporate produced, whatever it called. And then for the, the pandemic, he had a Snapchat called, you know, uh, Will From Home. And it's WFH, you know, so it's like work from home, but it's Will From Home. From home. And so he had a, a, a special where he did a cast reunion over Zoom and also had like a projector behind him of the faces of the person he was talking to on his computer and a professional like camera work and whatever to, to do this Snapchat reunion uh-huh. and a lot, they cover a lot of the same ground, which, which I think adds to the sort of scriptiness of it. But like him as host 
Yeah, he is a host. He's the host of his own social media presence, and which his is own what life. this reunion's about. Yeah. And his own life. But the reunion is about Will blew up, you know, who didn't. Everyone Everyone. Else. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is a fascinating difference between that and uh, Friends. Right. Where they're all a little washed up. Yeah. You know, some more than others, yeah. for sure. But they've all had shows, you know, they've all... I mean, not all of them have had films. Right. But they've all... They've all continued to have very notable uh, careers-ish, you know? Right. Even if they're still known as the person from Friends. Right. Like, that's their main thing. They've all done at least one other major project. Right. Whereas, you know, for Fresh Prince, there are other projects notable projects major projects projects i could name not necessarily right just projects that have um you know uh infiltrated the the cultural zeitgeist the way that these shows did in their prime Right. I mean, I think the the cultural resurgence around Lisa Kudrow has been truly inspiring <laughs> and almost like, you know, it, it's like fishing, you know, gold out of a shit barrel. <laughs> I don't know what the metaphor is, but like for for someone like me who does not like friends, but likes Lisa Kudrow a there lot you go. Uh, in her other roles, I think that there, there's been a cultural renaissance around her. I mean, Courtney, Co- there, I would agree that that Lisa Kudrow has sort of had a renaissance uh, in the past yeah. 10 years or so. Um, but I think, you know, like, Courtney Cox was the draw right. Cougar for Town. Cougar Town, you know? Yeah. And, like, she... No, no, I mean, she's she's a star. She is. Yeah, and... There's no denying that. And David Schwimmer has had projects that he's been the star. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't do it without Schwimmer. I mean, Matt LeBlanc did uh, the prestige drama where he basically plays himself um (laughs) shit what's it called my mom was really into it back in like Uh, right exactly your mom right was really into it and of course jennifer aniston's film career exists you yeah it's it's better than everyone else on the cast's careers yeah but but it's not like it's unbelievable that she would hang out with these people. No, so. no, absolutely not. Um, and of course, there's always speculation in these ones, like who's aged better? Yeah. Is anyone having problems? Who gained the most weight? I find those things very crass, but yeah. I, I understand the appeal of them. Yeah. Um, and of course, there was speculation about Matthew Perry because he was a lot quieter and his speech was kind of distorted. He said in interviews that he had last minute dental work, emergency dental work. So, you know, but it fuels Whatever. speculation. I exactly. think, what about, um, do you have anything to say about sort of the think piece or f- uh, fan um, paparazzi uh, content that came out after these specials? You know, the sort of write-ups? Um, I honestly, I, I didn't see a ton. I just saw like, the friends reunion and like here's what you missed right because you didn't watch it exactly um and then i watched it so i i don't know did you see anything that like really stood out to you Well, well i just think any moment that they're purposefully trying to make a moment is going to get 
a dedicated think piece and then of course there's going to be a listicle of like here's all the things you missed because you know people do recaps of stuff all the time but i just think like the idea of oh you know bombshell david schwimmer and jennifer aniston had crushes on each other Mm -hmm. and then you do a whole write-up on that and then oh my god you won't believe what um what janet said to uh will in this heart to heart right and then you do a write-up on that right and i think that part of this is it's not a big write-up to say hbo just bought fresh prince (laughs) right like you can't write something that gets clicks from that (laughs) but you can get clicks if you write uh, hbo got these two people in a room and then they actually dished some dirt right and then now everyone's going to go watch fresh prince to see oh could we maybe see the dirt in the performances in the in the second and third season Mm -hmm. Uh, who knows yeah um yeah, no, for sure. It's it's manufacturing a narrative to some extent. And it might be a narrative that is genuinely true in some respect, in some part of it. But, like, the only reason you talk about a narrative in front of a camera is to, like, have that narrative be heard, you know? And people have a lot of different reasons for wanting things to be heard. Of course, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you can't take out, you know, Janet's actual incentives in that moment to you know disclose what she wanted to disclose that yes she gets to frame it as i'm telling my side of the story even if she can't really say that will you know what will did in excruciating detail because it's a light-hearted thing and if the takeaway is will was really abusive on set that's not a good takeaway yeah it's a terrible takeaway <laughs> now also will cannot say you were really actually creating trouble on set and I was justified to say that you were being difficult. Whether or not that's true, I'm not taking sides in this thing, but I'm just saying there's an there's an element of what can't be said. Right. What is not allowed to be said. It, right. It would like, destroy the fabric of the reunion. Exactly. Like this meeting, you know, you had to know that it was going to turn out well. And whether that means it was scripted to turn out well or, like, you have, uh, you know, genuinely decided to, like, that for forgive. press, you're going to bury the hatchet. Exactly. It's, you know, it's totally legitimate. Yeah. You know, there's nothing illegitimate about right. sort of covering up a certain part of your feelings in order to create the most palatable image for your public. I guess that does sound kind of fake. But yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just, it's something that you need to take into account while you're viewing it i think and i think Mm -hmm. it's it's sitting in the back of your head even if you're sort of uncritically just sort of munching on that nostalgia root and i mean you know people are allowed to forgive (laughs) no no of of course i don't i would never want to suggest that this was inauthentic because no one should ever forgive somebody for abuse right right no no and though of course forgiveness is not required in all situations either like right but in this situation it it was the idea that you couldn't really say no to the apology right is is interesting and the fact that will waited until the very last second to say the words i'm sorry too yeah and waited for her to apologize first yeah he's very conscious i think of how he is perceived in that moment. He's so image conscious. Um, right, but of course he, I mean, he's yeah. a celebrity. How could you not be image conscious? 
Unless you're just completely oblivious. Right, right. Um, no, but I think there's a lot about Will Smith now that um, it feels very practiced. Like a lot of his mannerisms and the way that he talks and presents himself in public and when talking about his projects. Um, you know, I haven't watched his like Snapchat stuff so or his YouTube, so he could be like hella authentic and whatever there. But like even his authentic moments feel like there's always a sort of um a certain amount of guardedness to them. Right. It's it's what made me think of like Bojack Horseman, even though it's a very different kind of reflection on sitcom abuse and child stars and whatnot. None of the child stars in you know, in the uh, Fresh Prince reunion said, being a child star messed me up psychologically. Yeah. Which is the case on many other sitcoms. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to say, like, they were putting on a happy face, necessarily. Uh, you know, I don't know what Tatiana's internal life is, but yeah. she seems incredibly well-adjusted and happy and that she still has fond memories of the show. Yeah. Uh, but... Of course, there are other shows that will never get their reunion special because it would be too depressing. Right. It would be because that's the thing about, um, you know, they talk about how like, oh, these are your families. Sometimes your family sucks, <laughs> you know. Right. Exactly. There's no that you have to sort of shave away the 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 difficult aspects of these shows right like um, you know father you don't you don't talk about like your dad's flaws on father's day you know you don't use your mom's birthday as an excuse to go like uh you know what sucked about you <laughs> like right yeah and 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 yet in both specials there's a moment in around the third act if you're breaking it down by tv rules mm -hmm. where you know at the start of the third act we have to do the dark side no. or the things that went wrong or the mistakes or whatever. And so you have Ross talking about, I hated that fucking monkey. God damn it. I, I wanted mean... to kill that fucking monkey. And then you have, uh, you have, you know, um, Joey broke, you know, broke his, broke his arm. arm. He dislocated his shoulder yeah. in the middle of a shoot and they had to cancel the shoot. And it's like, so these are the problems that are okay to talk about. Yeah. They're nobody's fault. Right. There's no resolving them. There's no latent, lasting trauma or or disturbing impact of them. It's just... Right. Eh, and, David um, Schwimmer thought the monkey was tacky and, and ruined his takes. Yeah. Which, like, legit, fair enough. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, in Fresh, Fresh Prince, they have... Um, uh, oh God, what's the name of Will's friend who gets thrown out of the house? Jazzy Jazz. Jazz, yes. Uh, you know, he talked about how, like, yeah, one day I had to do, like, 150 takes of me, like, getting thrown out right. of, like, various places. Maybe exaggeration, but yeah. But, like, a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then they just ended up using the same, same shot that. for every time. Which, of course, then means he has an iconic shirt. Right. Because he has to wear that shirt in almost every episode he appears in. Or if he's about to get thrown out of the house, he has to wear that shirt. That's... Yeah. He absolutely has to then. Yeah. Uh, but it, so it ultimately becomes sort of iconic just by accident. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting sort of disclosure of what, what are we allowed to tell them yeah. about what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. 
Whereas most of the the special is just here are some of your favorite moments. Mm-hmm. Here are clips of things that went incredibly well and they were magical and they, you know, was it the writer? Was it the actor? Was it the performance? Was it the director? It was everybody. It was a total collaborative effort and we get to reflect on how great it was. But, you know, I think it's interesting that each of them had this like low point, whether it was, you know, the Janet Will conversation and talking about um, the passing of uh, Uncle Phil's actor. Right. Um, or... You know, talking about having your dislocated shoulder. And, right. Because that's the worst you can say right. about what happened on Friends. But it always has <laughs> to end with, you know, the ending of the show. And, like, those big emotions around that. Yeah, the finale. Yeah, vibes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, I think, you know, they take it to this, like, silly dark place so that they can transition into this... Pathos. Uh, yeah, the, the pathos of it's ending and yeah you know and then Indeed. it gets to drive home and this is the first time we're together since that <laughs> moment i love you guys ah! you know <laughs> that whole vibe yeah yeah and everybody cries everybody cries oh, yeah. everybody um, and like i get it i was a theater kid i get it but like i don't want to watch it <laughs> Right. Well, we have to watch it because we have to talk about what is the role that these specials are playing in HBO's strategy in particular. Yeah. Um, I think I said it earlier, you know, it's we're HBO. We are culture. It's ours now. We have Sesame Street. We have like all the Ghibli movies. We have Friends. It's a matter of, you know, it's Pokemon. We have to catch them all. But them all is our nostalgia, our, our history, our, you know, our, our notions of, of how we got to where we are right now. There was, you know, the mention of legacy in Fresh Prince a lot Yeah, where like we're one black sitcom in a long history of black sitcoms that led to the more progressive point that we're at right now. Um, whether that's true or not, whether, you know, maybe Fresh Prince is more progressive ultimately than, some of the uh, modern black sitcoms that we have, but I don't, you know, I'm not a scholar of, uh, of those, um, of those, of those shows. So yeah. I can't, I can't really say, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, where HBO gobbling. Right. right. But I think, I think basically there are two possible things that we can take away from the existence of these specials. Okay. And I don't know this, you know, maybe there's a million other things that we could take from it. But I think in terms of their strategy, we can either read this as, okay, the the properties that HBO and other streaming sites are buying, they're buying with longer term deals, more almost permanent deals, and that we're kind of having a settling of content. Whereas in previous years, people would fight over content, keep it for a couple months, maybe a year, and then lose it and then try and reacquire something else so that there's always a new flow of content going into a particular streaming site. Whereas I think HBO is saying, no, we are settling. Where is the content landing? It's settling here. We now have a partial ownership. We have a stake in Friends and Fresh Prince because we've produced something for it. So it's sort of saying, look, you know, it's not becoming as worth it to shuffle things around. It's becoming more worth it to define your brand by the legacy content that you own. 
The other possible takeaway, though, is almost the opposite, which is that things are still moving around at the same pace that they were. But legacy content is now more valuable than it has ever been to the point where you can spend a couple billion dollars acquiring a Seinfeld or a Friends and not even bat an eye because we need we need new content always and none of the new content that we're producing is of any value. So if you're going to spend $15 million on a project, you might as well spend it promoting the thing you already spent a billion dollars acquiring. So those are, I think, the two potential takeaways. Maybe it's a combination of both, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, That things are settling down in terms of acquiring content, but the value of that old legacy content has never been higher than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. I think it's it's a combination. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive at all. Right. Um, You know, I think... and, And again, it's like everyone wants to define their brand... But like, you know, what kind of brand is nostalgic 90s sitcoms? Oh, it's the brand where it's like, we have your past, <laughs> you know, like we, we have your child. We own We literally it. have your family. Right. Like we have your family and we have your friends. <laughs> like, And if you'd like to see them again, you'll pay us $15 a, a month, month right. for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, They're yeah. holding them hostage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and I think being like, you know, I I think it's not a secret that the industry, you know, is favoring tested IP right now. You know, they're not funding a lot of brand new, never before seen ideas. It's all. Yeah, of course, we can say there's a ton of reboots and and remakes. And and we say that almost every week, it seems like now. (laughs) Right. Uh, And sequels and reimaginings and revivals. There's mm-hmm. a new iCarly. It's. I mean, it Cruella. Like we talked about that right. so recently. You know. We. I mean, it seems like we talk about it every week because it so defines the media that we're consuming on a daily basis. Right. The recombination of of existing IP, but the reason for that is pretty clear. It's it's that these whenever you try and do something new, it doesn't guarantee. Uh, it a doesn't return. guarantee a payout. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. guarantee any kind of return. Right. And these guarantee a return. People sure. tuned in for the Friends reunion. They had been asking it for it since the end of the series. There was famously an episode of uh, 30 Rock where Jennifer Aniston guest starred and the title of the episode was The One with the Cast of Night Court. And the joke was that the, it, they allude to creating a reunion of a beloved sitcom. Right. And it's Night Court instead of Friends. Yeah. So I, I, people have been talking about this since, you know, 2007, 2008. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, forever people have been talking about this. Yeah. I, and, and like, you're <laughs> as judgy as we are being, you're not a bad person if you enjoyed these. <laughs> Like, and if you found them, like, really moving and they, like, like, I cried a little bit during both of these, you know. Oh, Um, I mean, when they were talking about the, the acting performance of, of Will working with, uh, his mentor. Right. And also his father figure and also his, you know, character's father figure about talking about fatherhood. Yeah. And the fact that his dad you know didn't want him Mm -hmm. or he felt like his dad didn't didn't want him 
and then finding love and acceptance in this found family. It's one of the most moving scenes of the show. Mm -hmm. And then to recap it through the lens of these are the emotions I was going through at that time as an actor. Yeah. This is the growth I was experiencing as an actor. This is what I've lost since I can no longer return to the past where I'm still alive and where I can be that actor yeah. Just sort of starting out again. Yeah. That kind of loss is not replicable outside of the format of the reunion special. Right, right. Um, and I mean, like, that's... It, like, there's moving stuff. And, like, there... I did enjoy seeing the friends being friendly with friends. one another. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, like, you like to imagine that... Yeah, they really are like that. They really do like each other. Mm-hmm. And they keep alluding to this thing of chemistry as if that requires everybody to like each other. I respectfully disagree with that. Okay. Reading, but, I mean, I'm coming from a place of, you know, some of my favorite sitcoms where I think they have the greatest chemistry as actors are Arrested Development, which involved abuse. Right. There was clear abuse of Je- from Jeffrey Tambor yeah. of... Um, of Jessica Walter mm-hmm. and other people in the cast. Right. And uh, another one of my favorite casts is Community, mm-hmm. where famously Chevy Chase didn't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, tons of actors left over, you know, seeking out other projects. Very not uh, Friends, you right. know. Like, everyone in Friends could have left to seek other projects by season seven, let's yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they didn't. And, you know, that's why we can say, oh, they all loved each other. They all had chemistry. They all wanted to be there. But I don't think that that necessarily makes it a better show. Right, right. That's all I'm saying. You're right. But it makes it um, it makes it makes feel special, whether or not it actually yes. is or not. It is the, yes. the pathos, uh, as we mentioned earlier. It's that um, yearning <laughs> for something that seems simple and it feels good and i think that's really valid to want that in your life and to get that from this i think i think if that's what floats your boat let it sail let it sail i think that's (laughs) uh as good a place as any to leave it yeah Uh, i I feel like we've we've reached some sort of conclusion or catharsis in this (laughs) and i I think both of these specials were about catharsis yeah Uh, but i'm sure we've left out uh, a lot of interesting observations so please tweet at us your favorite moments from these reunions or tweet at us your favorite reunion special of the past yeah because like i said this is nothing new Mm -mm. this existed on television since the beginning since i love lucy since the dick van dyke show continue to exist forever Like, I assume as yeah. long as there is TV, this will exist. Right. And I mean, maybe the big budget uh, sitcom reunion may disappear or may reconfigure, alchemize into something else. This is what we're dealing with now in terms yeah. of our nostalgia, in terms of what's marketable. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let us know your, your, your observations. <laughs> and uh, next week, we got another Standing Stanley Tucci coming at you. All right, we'll see you guys then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.